Thank you, Wayne. Thank you, worship team. That theme of clinging to Christ has been evident this morning. I'm so thankful to, to be here with you this morning. If you would, open up your Bibles or click to Exodus chapter 16. We've been walking through Exodus for some time now. And in the last chapter, in chapter 15, you really got to see the extremes of human emotion, right? They started off, we saw in the very beginning of the chapter, it was celebration, it was worship, it was singing and dancing because of what God had done to free them from Egypt. But by the end of the chapter, what happens? They're already grumbling, complaining. Sure didn't take them long to start to question the character of God and the character of Moses. And yet, God doesn't respond to them with condemnation or, or even anger. What does he do? Instead, he turns the bitter water sweet, as Perry preached about last week. And in doing that, he gives us a beautiful picture of Christ, right? Who heals our brokenness by turning our bitter hearts towards his sweetness. And then he gives us rest, which is exactly where chapter 15 ends, right? Look at the last verse of chapter 15. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. There's a taste of paradise, right? It sounds like a tropical island. I love the wisdom of God here, that they had had enough. They had been through a lot, and God recognizes that they need some respite. That's the wisdom of God here. Well, today as we start chapter 16, we're going to see the Israelites begin to grumble again. They get pretty good at grumbling, complaining. And once again, we're going to see the grace and the wisdom of God. And I want you to notice how God tests them. Last week's passage, Moses mentions that God was testing them. That's becoming a theme here, and I want us to really wrestle with that today. I really want us to think about why is God testing them? And how is he testing them? And my hope is that we're going to see more and more of the wisdom of God in it. And, it, and our trust in his wisdom will increase and grow. When we think of God testing us, we ought not think about it like we would think of a, a teacher at school testing us, right? In school, when you take a test, you, you typically do that because you're being evaluated to see how much you retain, how much information you retained and how much you can recall. When you take a test at school, you're being evaluated for a pass-fail grade, right? Testing at school is often done by teachers to help them come to some kind of determination of how well they're teaching and how well you're receiving it. But you see, the, the testing of God is different. God already knows what you know. He knows how you're gonna answer the, the test. He knows how you're going to respond. So the purpose of God testing you isn't to determine how much you know. The purpose of God testing you is really to expose your lack of faith in hopes to build your faith and to strengthen your faith. And so today, as we see God testing the Israelites, I want us to keep that in mind. That God is using this testing to really strengthen their faith and help them trust in his sufficient provisions. And so last week we saw that God called himself the healer. Today we're going to see God as the provider that we should cling to. Let's pray. Father, 
in heaven. Your name is great. And right now, we plead with you that we, that our eyes would be open, like we sang earlier, to see Jesus in this passage, to trust in his sufficient provision. I pray that we would be able to say with all sincerity, your grace is sufficient for our lives. I pray that through your word and through your spirit, you would expose our unbelief, our weakness, and that you would strengthen our faith and our sense of security in Christ. Father, would you do what only you can do and transform our hearts and our minds? In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to pick up in chapter 16, and we're going to go all the way through verse 21. So this is a lengthy passage. It's a, a fairly repetitive passage, so I... And I know it's kind of hard to focus when we're outside, so I would encourage you to really uh, put some effort into focusing in on these words as we read them. What you're going to see is basically, you're going to see the Israelites grumble. You're going to see God speak to Moses and tell him his game plan to test them. And then you're going to see Moses and Aaron relay that to the rest of the Israelites. And then finally, you're going to see God fulfilling his promises. So let's pick up in chapter 16, verse 1. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my ways or not, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, 
fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as you can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning. And it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. We're going to stop there. There's just a couple things that I really want to point out in this text this morning. And if you're taking, uh, if you go onto the app, you can uh, take some notes on this or the, the virtual bulletin. Uh, if you don't know what that is or if you haven't got there yet, you can go onto our website at mercyhillshep.org. There's a link to our online bulletin there. And if you'd like to take notes on your phone, you can do that during this time. But the first thing that I want you to notice is the anxious hearts of the Israelites. They were grumbling because it's been like a little bit over a month since they left Egypt and they're running out of food or at least in their their mind they're running out of food right because th there's some debate on this we will find out later that they still had plenty of livestock and so they probably did have some food but in their minds they're they're scared they're frightened and it's understandably so I mean and, and I think their their sin is <coughs> excuse me, my voice is going their sin is not actually their anxiety. It, it was how they responded to their anxiety. Uh, the, the fear that we experience because of potentially hunger, everybody's getting me water right now. Let's see. <laughs> what? <laughs> the fear that they experience because of their hunger, that's actually a God-given fear to us, right? That keeps us alive. But it's how they respond. Instead of them running to God, and crying out to God for help, what do they do? They, they start grumbling. They, they start blaming Moses for, for their situation. And Moses rightly corrects them and says, look, you're not actually grumbling against me. You're grumbling against God. I'm just the messenger here. Also, notice it's the entire people of Israel that are complaining here. Okay, so the, the, I feel like this has kind of been growing and it's not just a handful of them that are now complaining. It's not like this small faction of people that are just loud and obnoxious, right? This is the whole congregation of Israel that is now complaining. They've been swept up into this culture of complaining. And this is even before like social media, right? We, we are so prone. We are so prone to, to fall into grumbling and complaining. It, it's kind of like a virus, right? And notice how they embellish the past also. They, they say that, look, slavery in Egypt was better than what we're experiencing here. They, they say that, look, back in Egypt, we got fed meat, we got fed bread, all that we could eat. And they even go as far as questioning the character and the motives of Moses. Like, look, Moses, you brought us out here just to starve us to death, didn't you? It would have been better for us to die in the plagues back in Egypt they say. 
And so they don't trust Moses. Ultimately, they don't trust God. That's the, the context of this passage here. But that's not the focus of the passage. The focus of this passage is not their grumbling or, or their, their hangry hearts, right? <laughs> that's what they're doing, right? You, you know what it means to be hangry, right? Uh, my kids get hangry if, if they don't get food often. Uh, I get hangry too. If I preach too long, you guys will all be hangry at me. You know what it means to be hangry. That's what they're, go they're doing, but that's not the focus of this text. The focus of this passage is God's grace and God's wisdom. That's the focus of this passage. Not once does God rebuke them for grumbling. He doesn't condemn them. Instead, he uses their grumbling as really an opportunity to teach them, disciple them, so that they would learn to be to trust his faithfulness to provide, that his provision is sufficient. And, and this is a lesson that he would remind them daily for the next 40 years because they needed to be reminded of it daily for the next 40 years. We are slow to learn. Next, notice the emphasis here on God, God hears the Israelites. That's the next point in your notes if you're taking notes. God is hearing the Israelites. Four times Moses mentions this. Verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, and again in verse 12, Moses mentions that the Lord heard their grumbling. Even though their grumbling wasn't against, wasn't focused or wasn't pointed towards God, it was pointed towards Moses, but God hears it because, of course, he hears everything. That, that psalm that we were reading, or that we're going to read it in a little bit. No, we read, did we read Psalm 139? Yeah. We read that earlier. Uh, it really mentions about how God knows our thoughts from afar. He knows everything that we're thinking. He hears everything that we say. And really, depending on your view of God, that's either really scary or it's actually really encouraging. I mean, if you look at God as just simply a judge that's out to get you, that's a scary thing because you know what you've said and you know what you think or what you've thought. But if you understand God as your heavenly father and that you're in Christ and you've been adopted as his child and he knows all of your thoughts, he knows every one of your wicked thoughts. He, know, he knows your deepest, darkest secrets and yet he still sent his son to die for you, to pay the penalty that you deserve on the cross. He hears all of our grumbling and complaining, and yet he still loves you. If you really think about that, that's hugely encouraging because it, it means that we never have to run from God. We never have to hide from God. We can run to God in our weaknesses, in our doubts, in our mess. We can be completely open and completely honest without fear of condemnation. And I'm learning more and more it's that in those moments when we're vulnerable with God, when we are willing to confess our weaknesses, that's when God works. That's when he does his best work. That's what I believe Paul is teaching us when Paul talks about the thorn in his flesh, right? And do you recall why the thorn was given to him? It was to keep him humble. And Paul pleads with God three times, take away this, this thorn. And every single time God replies by saying, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in 
weakness. And it was through this that Paul learned to embrace his weaknesses. In fact, he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so let me give you just like one small practical implication of this. So prayer. When, when we look at prayer as just a spiritual discipline that we do to be a, quote, a good Christian, or we look at prayer as a way to kind of appease God or look good in front of God, we miss out on one of the greatest benefits of prayer, which is just to be real and honest with God, because that's when he does his greatest work in us. Often we, we want to, we try to hide our shame. We don't want to feel shame. We don't want to feel guilt. We're wired that way. Adam and Eve, as soon as they sinned, what did they do? They went and hid from God. They wanted to cover up their shame. And so they put clothes on. And we do the same thing. But often you know the way that we do that? By trying to be good people. By trying to do good works. That's how we hide. Why, how we try to hide our, our shame and our guilt from God. And, and, and Scripture is saying, look, be honest with them. Be real with them. And that's when the Spirit's going to form you and change you and purify you. It, it, I think this is what Jesus is trying to teach us in the parable of the, the two men that go to the, the temple to pray, right? It, you got the Pharisee and you got the tax collector. And, the, and the, the Pharisee is like, oh, thank you, God, that I'm not like all these sinners and these tax collectors. I tithe and I fast and I do all these great things. But it's the tax collector who puts himself away from everybody else and bows his head and beats his chest and says, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. He expresses and he confesses his weaknesses. And Jesus says, who walks away justified in that situation? It's the tax collector. We can go and we can run to God because he already knows all your weaknesses and he loves you anyhow. There's no fear of condemnation. And so be encouraged by this text. God hears you. He knows your pain. He knows your temptation. He knows your addictions. He knows your weakness, and he's not repulsed. He's drawn towards you in compassion as you confess your weaknesses and you cry out for help. Next, I want you to notice the test God gives them, how God tests the Israelites. Look at verse 4. Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And so they were to go out every single morning and only take what they needed for that day. And if they tried to keep some for the next day, what happened? It, it got infested with worms and it stank. Day after day for 40 years, they would do this. And through this, God is teaching them, discipling them, daily dependence upon him. Daily dependence upon him. Day after day, they would be tempted to take things into their own hands, just like us. To gather more than what they needed for that day, so that just in case the bread didn't show up in the morning tomorrow, they would have something to eat. And that's what they did at first, at least, right? They failed the test. But God's compassionate with them. 
In God's wisdom, he was teaching them to trust in his provision. Every morning they would wake up and God would remind them that his provision is sufficient. In verse 5, we read that on the sixth day of the week, they would gather twice as much as they usually would so that on the seventh day, they wouldn't have to gather anything at all. And again, God's testing them here. He, he's calling them to, to trust him that, that he would provide for them on that seventh day and that the food would actually not rot on that day. That seventh day of rest is so significant. It's a huge theme throughout the Bible. We're actually going to spend a whole week talking about that next week, so I'm going to put a pin in it right now. But today, what I simply want you to notice is that God responds to their grumbling by promising them food and rest. And his provision is perfect, right? They, they lack nothing, meat in the evening, bread in the morning, six days, and then rest on the seventh day. And so God's compassion towards them is to take care of both their physical needs and their spiritual needs so that they would know that he is the Lord, their God. And, and I think it's significant that the very first time in all of scripture that the Bible uses the phrase, the glory of the Lord, it occurs in this passage. And I think it's significant that in this passage, it's highlighting not his awesome almighty power but it's highlighting his compassion and his wisdom and his provision as god tests his people you go to the new testament and the new testament authors encourage us to really embrace god's testing as a gift given to us james 1 verse 2 count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Again, Peter, 1 Peter 1.16. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So the testing of God is really, it's a gift because it refines us. It purifies us. If you put gold into a fire, eventually what happens is all the impurities rise to the surface so they can be scraped away. You see, impurities that stay hidden cannot be removed. And so God uses the trials to bring and expose those impurities, to expose those weaknesses, our unbelief so that the Spirit can produce in us steadfastness and holiness. And so it makes sense what Paul says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. So the thrust of this passage is God is discipling the Israelites to be utterly dependent upon him, daily dependence on him. He's saying to them, look, trust my wisdom, trust my provision anew, every single day trust that i truly do care for you and i have the ability to care for you every single day i will shower bread from heaven down on you you simply need to believe in me trust my word and so when you come to the new testament jesus of course teaches his disciples to pray in the lord's prayer and what does he say he says give us today our daily bread he doesn't say, give us enough for this week or this month. 
He says, give us today our daily bread. And we, we're going to come back tomorrow and ask the same thing. Daily dependence. Now, of course, there's even more significance to this passage. I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6. Or flip on your phone to John chapter 6. And I want us to look at a really interesting interaction between some Jews and Jesus. And so in verse 26, John chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus is talking to a group of people who have started following him because they've just witnessed him feed the 5,000. And Jesus feeding the 5,000, of course, he's making a statement there. He's really proclaiming that he is God and he will provide for his people. But these people that have started following him, they're, they're not so much interested in Jesus. They're interested in what Jesus can give them. And so Jesus calls them out here in verse 26. And he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you. For on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. Now, of course, the people don't understand this. They're, they're very slow to learn. Verse 28, they, they go back to wanting more miracles. They, they say, well, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And so they're, they're saying, look, we want to be able to do miracles like you, Jesus. And so Jesus replies and says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You want to do the works of God? This is the work of God. Believe in me. Trust me. Put your faith in me as the Messiah. Now, the Jews still don't get it. In verse 30, they, they ask for another sign. They, they say, what, what then do you do for a sign that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And so they're basically saying to Jesus, look, if you want us to believe in you, you're going to have to do another sign. You're going to have to produce some kind of sign. Moses gave us bread from heaven so we would believe in him. What can you do? Now, now I think this fires up Jesus a little bit. You see him say next, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so they, they said to him, they, don't, they still don't get it. Verse 34, sir, give us this bread always, right? They, they're still thinking physically. Like, you can give us bread that will never be hungry again, right? And this is where Jesus really drops the mic. Verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. I am. That sounds familiar, right? Jesus says, I am that bread. I'm even greater than the manna in the wilderness. I, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In other words, those who place their faith in me will live for eternity and be satisfied for all of eternity. See, that's what the manna in Exodus chapter 16 is ultimately pointing to. That God has permanently provided for the needs of his people in Jesus Christ. And so today, I would encourage you, just as a practical way to apply this text, I would encourage you to, to pray and ask God 
to expose your weaknesses. And I know that's kind of a scary prayer because it probably involves trials, right? But the thing is, we're going to face trials. That's part of living in a broken world. But in the midst of those trials, let's ask God to reveal our weaknesses, our unbelief, our brokenness. And let's be honest with him and honest with ourselves. I, I think a lot of times what God tells us when we ask him that, he, he says, okay, where are you grumbling? <laughs> what, do, what do you tend to complain about? What are you worrying about? What keeps you up at night? A lot of times that reveals where we're still looking to be self-reliant rather than relying on God. Instead of, so here's the, and this is the biggest thing. If you remember anything, remember this. When God begins to reveal those weaknesses to us, often how do we reply or respond? We respond by saying, okay, God, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be better. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to start doing this. That's typically our response. My encouragement with you today is don't respond that way. Instead, respond to God and say, look, I confess these things to you. I can't do it apart from you. I can't do it apart from you. I need you. I need your wisdom. I need your spirit to guide me. I need your spirit to strengthen me, to keep me from falling into temptation. Apart from you, I can do nothing. You see, when our weaknesses, are, when they're revealed through the testing of God, let's not run towards self-reliance. Let's run to the cross. Let us be utterly dependent on Christ today and tomorrow and the next day. I think there's a reason in Hebrews 3 that we're encouraged to encourage one another every day as long as it's called a day. Because every single day we need to be reminded that God's provision is sufficient. And we need to cling on to him with both hands, right? Let's pray that God would help us to do that. Father, I'm so thankful for Jesus' words when he said that the works of God is to believe in you. Help us to believe in you. Help us to trust in your sufficient provision. Help us to be able to say, like Paul, your grace is sufficient for us. No matter what we're going through, no matter what our, our trials are, I pray that we would embrace them and we would embrace our weakness, that we would be honest with you, that we would be honest with one another, we would be honest with ourselves. We would stop trying to hide our shame and our guilt by being good Christians. And we would start fully, daily, depending upon you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus, who gives us everything we need. Help our hearts to treasure him. In Jesus' name, amen. So right now we, we come to a time where we get to be reminded physically of Christ's sacrifice for us, reminded that he is the true manna from heaven, that is our sufficient grace, that he provides for us daily. 
And so let's not walk through the motions of communion. If you're a believer, we'd encourage you to, to join us in this celebration. There's uh, elements over here for you. This is also a time if you need prayer or if you have questions about salvation or about membership at Mercy Hill or baptism or anything else, I'd encourage you to, to I'll be over at the tent. You can come talk to me or I, I, I would love to pray with you more. After everybody's had a chance to take communion, we're going to stand. We're going to continue to worship together. But if you have questions, sincerely, don't leave today until you get those questions answered. You come as God is calling you to respond.